0: So let's start with the first here. I like to look first here, now, just to show you the sort of stuff that we are um, dealing with, okay, in terms of the perik. This is perik Yud in Yoshua. You see it's uh, up until Pusik Mem Gimel, 43 Psukib, unusually long perik a lot of stuff going on. So we're first going to break it up, and just show you the, the general outline of it, and then we can go through it. So first of all, uh, the first, let's say, the first five psukim, olive Tehé, is sort of the international reaction, or I shouldn't say international, but the inter reaction to the whole incident of Gibbon. So just to go backwards for a second, in, in, peric, te, in peric 9, Peric 10, the uh, inhabitants of Gibbon decide to make a separate peace with the Jewish nation. And in order to do that, they don't realize that they have the option of making peace. Your, when Yeshua came into the land, and this is uh, what Chazal say, that they gave the the people of Canaan, the seven nations, options. Option number one was to get up and go, and the Girgashi did that. Some say some of the Amo'i and the Prizi did that. Um, That's option number one, leave. So apparently we don't hear from the Girgashim again, so there's really only six nations left. The other two options besides leaving were make war and make peace making peace was not just a piece of equals, but the Jewish people had to have the upper hand and the nations of the land had to accept the sovereignty of the Jews and they had to accept the seven laws of the sons of Noah and they had to avoid idolatry in particular and these things. In the case of the Gibbonim, they didn't seem to understand that they had this option. They felt maybe that the option had not, um, had, was no, I'm starting to think in Hebrew, was no longer it had no validity anymore because Yoshua was conquering the, the towns and destroying them. So they felt that this was not um, a good option and so they they played their game. They tricked the Jews into making a uh, treaty with them by pretending they were from very far away and, and having moldy bread and, and, and worn out clothing. And the Jews fell for it. They did not consult Hashem. They fell for it and they made this treaty. Once they found out that they'd been tricked, they, they were kind of honor bound, we'll call it honor bound to keep up that agreement, even though it was obtained by trickery. And they protected the the people of Gibbon. They became their um, masters, so to speak. And they told them, as a punishment for the trickery, that they would have to be woodchoppers and water drawers. Now, here is the first amazing thing this was a mistake by the Jewish people. They should not have fallen for the trick of the gibbonim. Nevertheless, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is able to take our mistakes and extract good things from them, which is quite amazing. Of course, when you make a mistake, you have to acknowledge it, you have to try to fix it. If there's a sin, you do tshuva. But Hashem's power is amazing. And I think we would maybe call that even our first life lesson. If you make a mistake, don't despair. I got a spell who can turn it around for you in amazing ways. So what we have to do is look at the map in order to understand where Givon was. Okay, so here is a map, and this is this is the spot. Can you all see the map? You all screen sharing. Okay, you the Jewish people come in here, right, north of the Dead Sea, and they. They camp at Gilgal. What they're doing militarily is they're going from east to west. They conquer Rijo. They conquer Ai. Right? Where is Givon? Givon is so central. You see this? It's right in the middle. I want to go right. If you take a look here, it's in the middle from the east to west. It's in the middle. From the north to the south, it's extremely central and extremely important. Now, when Gibbon makes a pact with the Jewish people, right? The the rest of the uh, six nations have to figure out what do they do with this information, and it's very difficult for them. So the first thing they decide to do is to make a uh, uh, a, a confederate confederation of tribes and fight the Jewish people so let's go back here right at the end of Perik Yuh, Perik Tet. I'm sorry at the beginning of Perik Tet, we see when all the kings heard what Yeshua did right with I, they gathered together to fight with Yeshua and with Israel pe'echad one mouth, one voice. All the kings are in this confederacy against Yoshua, but the Yoshve Givon make the path, which leads to Mepharshim to say that not only were the Givonim separatists from the rest of Canaan, they were rebelling in a certain sense against their own government, because their king was off having a powwow with the other kings against Joshua, and they're busy making peace. Okay, so that's a little background. So here the kings in, in, in verses one to five, the kings decide to fight Gibbon. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then we go on to what actually happens. And the people of Gibbon say, Well, we're in trouble. And they call to Joshua. verses six and seven, help save us from the uh, the other kings, because now you know you're our ally, and now you're our protector, and we need your help. Okay, so I'm just going over the outline of the of the Perek verses eight, right until eleven, right is going to be the crux of the issue. These first few, there's going to be a great miracle here. And then um, 12 until 14, another great miracle. And Hashem is fighting for the Jewish people. For really from verse eight until, um, let's say here, uh, until verse 20 is basically the battle. Then the aftermath is from 20 to 32, and um, 33 to 43 is a whole subset of battles. So what I wanted to show you on the map, which is so interesting, you know, maybe I'll have a smaller map, a little more here. Interestingly enough, the map has the five kings that got together in green. So if you take a look, the initiative is from the king of Yerushalayim, right? And you can imagine Yerushalayim is very central to Israel. You can imagine how threatened they feel if you look at the progress of Yeshua Gilgal, Yericho, I, Givon. Now Yerushalayim says, if Givon falls to them, they're cutting us across, right? And in Ten, in fact, the Jews, when they discover that Givon was nearby, they discovered that Be'erot, Kefirah and Kiryat-Yarim, which is today Telstone. Shout out to Margalee who lived in Telstone, Kiryat-Yarim. People don't know that that's Telstone, but it is Telstone. These four towns are allies, and they're mentioned in chapter nine as part of the same confederacy. So those purple cities are now going to fall to the blue, which is Yoshua. Right? I love the way they color-coded this map. <laughs> We're so happy to find it. Now the cities that get together are the green ones. And uh, let's take a look at the text. Um, okay. <laughs> And it was, when the king, Adonit Tzedek, who was the king of Yerushalayim, which is the first time, I believe, that the city is mentioned by this name in the Tanakh, um, that Joshua had captured Ai and destroyed it, as he'd done to Yerushalayim and to her king, so he did to I and her king, and that the people of Gibbon, the dwellers of Gibbon, had made a pact with them, and they were now in their midst, right? Pusik bet. They were very scared because Gibbon was no small potato. Gibbon was a very big place. Sha on Shavuot, there's a few things that made him very nervous in Ushalayim. Number one, Givon is an ereg It was not only larger in size than I, which, if you remember, twelve thousand people, but it was larger in quality. It was a very important place, Givon. and it was one. Achat Arayat was one of the most important cities of the, of the whole land, and it was bigger than I. The Khanasha Giborim. these were not, you know, 90-pound weaklings. These were strong people, if you remember when the spies come back back in, in, in Sefer for Bamidbar, right? They say that there's giants there, they're, they're fortified cities and they're terrifying people. And so if Givewood is folded, right, they say in, in Israel. Right. If the cedar trees are attacked by a flame, what are the little mossy uh, little plants going to say? This is the if give is falling to the Jews. What are we going to do? Now you could talk about this. We don't have a lot of time, so we'll just briefly. There were. A number of ramifications to the give own defection that the the other kings were very concerned about. But if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Here he says this, right? If they're like that. Mitsuda says if they're so strong and they're still not fighting and they're giving in to the Jews, what are we going to do? Now, here Mitsuda's in, in Pasid Gimel says, Hey, Reulas, okay, we This was this was a bad thing for the rest of the country because everyone became very frightened. Very frightened. Everyone's giving in, what does that mean for the rest of it? Now, if you take a look. Just as a side issue, you should note that the king of Yerushalayim was called Adoni Tzedek. If you remember, when uh, uh, back in Bratius, there's Melech Shalem. Mm-hmm. Melech Shalem is Yerushalayim, and Melech Shalem is Malki Tzedek. So it's interesting, and then the should talk about it, that um, here, Rav Bag mentions it, Radak mentions it, that Yerushalayim's king always had a Tzedek in the name. As a sort of tribute to the greatness and the righteousness of Yushalayim. and uh, it started out with Shalim, that was the name given by Malchitzedek, which who was Shame, son of Noah, and later on, after that Kedah, right? Hashem, Hashem uh, Abraham calls it Hashem Yireh, and the, the Hashem's uh, given honor both to Abraham's name, Hashem Yireh, and also to Malchitzedek, Shame's name, Shalem, Combined it to be Yeru Shalem, And the king is Adonit Tzedek. Now, Pasek Gimel. I'm sorry. I have to stop and say how much I enjoyed that his name is Hoham. I find that hilarious. Hoham, the king of Hebron, he must have been a very boring fellow. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, Peram, the king of Yarmut, Yafia, the king of Lachish, and Devir, Melach Eglon. This is Pasigiro. So there were five kings all together, going back to our map, Jerusalem, Yarmut, Hebron, Lachish, and Eglon. So you see that those five cities are, are over uh, quite a bit of area, but they are trending south. In other words, The first major battle that is going to fight in this chapter is going to be south, south of Rishalayim, those uh, Gush areas and those uh, areas in the Shvela, in the uh, trending toward Tel Aviv and Beit Shamish area. So Yarmut is here, Hebron, we know, Lachish and Eglon, they all get together, these five kings. And he says to them, he sends them a message, come up to me and help me and we will strike because they made peace with Yeshua and with the Jewish people. And now here is our question. Why? Why are these kings getting together to battle Givon as opposed to battling yoshua don't you think pasikay ya yasay bay es fuba yaluk hamish ma khema we melchi 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 amut melchi shemelgek mon hemagoma genema ya genu al gibon bay lakham so pasikay hey, all these five kings yushalaiim khebron ya mut lafish ekwon they in their camps camp on gibon which seems, sounds like they laid siege to Givon and they fight her. Okay, which is very interesting. Like, why would they do that? Why not attack the Jews? This is very interesting because if you think about it, these are the defectors, right? So the first thing they're thinking is we have to put these people down. What will happen if Givon gets away with this? it might lead to general defections where we don't want to fight. They have decided that they want to fight and in order to do so, especially after the, the victory in Ai, where they saw that Yoshua was using military tactics as opposed to Yerisha, which was a complete and utter miracle. They said, well, if they're fighting with tactics and we get a big enough army, perhaps we can, we can win them. But if we start having this guy is going to make peace and that guy is going to make peace and the other guys. How's this even gonna work? So they say, you know what? The first thing we have to do is get put down Gibbon and make it clear that nobody defects. And don't forget that the king seems to have been um, rebelled against, assuming there was a king in Gibon, and the people go ahead against his will and make this pact with Yoshua. So each one of these kings is thinking not only are they going to mess up our syndicate our 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 general fight against all the jews but they're also going to uh, you know wreak havoc with our governments there's going to be general insubordination all the all the um all the people will fight up against their kings so to them it seemed to be a very very urgent thing to stop them from aiding and abetting the enemy. And I think that, you know, it's, it's important to take, take stock here and learn, let's say we'll call this life lesson number two. Even from your enemies, you have to learn, right? Unity is a tremendous value. If you, you know, the Americans are right, we always say, united we stand, united we stand divided we fall. Right? This is going to be the crack that's going to let Joshua in, and they know it, and they're afraid of it. And so we have to not only unite ourselves militarily, militarily and politically, but religiously. We have to stop being so divided, and it's a very big problem in the Jewish world today. If you take a look at the way the Chazal uh, portrayed this in the Gemara, they talk about how um in the time of in the time of David, right? In the time of David, people went to war, they won the wars, but people people got killed. And the Chazal say because people told Lash Hara. You see the stories of Doeg telling Lash and Hara and Siva telling Lushanhara and all these things. And the time of Ahab. Right? And Ahab was a complete idol worshiper and a terrible person. right? But he won wars. It's very, very interesting. Why did he win wars, Ahab? The Chazal say because no one spoke Lashon Hara. Everybody knew that Avajah was hiding prophets of God, a hundred prophets of God, from Ahav, and nobody told Ahab. So you see that the unity and the lack of Lashon Hara is a very very important value in Judaism and uh, you don't have to go further than uh, the right now we are coming up on Lagba Omer the, the the students of Rabbi Akiva who seem to have had disputes among them and that was the source of their plague and of course the 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 which had to do with Hina. so you see we can learn even from our enemies unity is a very very important thing and we should try to be stronger together, okay. Now, what do the people of Gibeon do when faced with this enemy? They, they turn to the people who are their new allies, right? Pasuk They sent to Yoshua to his camp at Gilgal, saying, do not weaken your hands from your servants. Come up to us quick. Save us, help us. Because they have gathered against us all the kings of the Amori, the dwellers of the mountain. This is not strictly accurate, but you can see that they're very agitated because um, they're not all from the mountain. So you see here, their first instinct is to call to Yoshua. And so why should Yoshua help them? They obtained their confederacy, right? Their, uh, Their deal through trickery. So notice the appeal and think about it. Do not weaken your hands from your servants You're now our masters. That gives you a certain amount of obligation. And who are we to complain about the Givonim? Every Rosh Hashanah. We say to Kaddish Baruch Hu, Anu Avodecha, Mata Adonainu. Hashem, you have to save us because you're our, our master and we're your servants. And that's a, good, that's a good approach. It's not a bad approach. It's a good approach because you have an obligation to your servants to take care of them. And so this is what they're saying, right? We look to our, our dome. Another thing that's interesting here is they say first hoshia lanu, right? Save us, and then help us. If you're not gonna save us entirely, at least help us. Which is so interesting because we, we say in, um, in the davening, "Moshe Hashem, uh, mo, uh, Moshia, right? Blanking, ozer, um, Moshia, um, What's the difference between Ozer, Moshia and Magain? Magain is the best because God is your shield and nothing can touch you. Right? Moshe is the next level. Something is attacking you, but God saves you from it. Ozer is the lowest level because, you know, he's not saving you, but he's helping you out. It's like, you know, sending arms to Ukraine. We're not saving you, but we'll help you, right? We don't know, they're very desperate. So they sent Yahshua. All the kings of Amori are out to get us, right? And it's very interesting. And it's definitely another lesson for us to learn that that's a very appropriate and not a bad way to approach us and say, Hashem, you know, you're our master and you should help us because we're your servants. And Yoshua responds and he gets himself up from Gilgal with all the men of war and all of the brave men of valor. And here you see Hashem's response to this. Yoshua says, What can I do? I have to help these people. Now Hashem says, Lo Ishmahem. Right. And Hashem says to Yoshua, do not be afraid of them. I will give them in your hand. And no man, no man of them will stand before you. Now it's very interesting here because the the, the version talk about um save. Lo In that case, said they're not even going to try to fight you. But they're already trying to fight you, but they're not going to be able to stand up against you. And this is Hashem's signal to Yeshua, you are on the right path, you should do this. And if you remember, we talked about this at the beginning, that even though the agreement with Gibbon was a mistake, Hashem is now going to take this mistake and snatch victory out of it for the Jewish people. Because if you look at that map, Oh, sorry, the map. All of these places are super strategic. And now, and and many of them are walled cities. So if you saw, my leap there's has a whole discussion on this, the walled city issue. You rehow really we had to knock the wall down with a miracle, right? And I we had to pull them out. We can't fight a walled city, it's very difficult. You know, you ever see Lord of the Rings? <laughs> You have these these towers. Yeah, how do you fight that? But now Hashem is pulling people out of these cities to one location where Yeshua can fight them all at once, right? So the Gibbon thing is now going to be turned from a mistake into a major opportunity. Zahava has some kind of pillow like that, my daughter, right? What does it say there, Zahava? Out of every, uh. Where it called? Your pillow with the opportunity. You have to unmute yourself and tell us what it says. Do you remember what it I says? I don't remember, but I'll, 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 uh, I'll check right now. Since you asked. I love that pillow. In the way. middle of difficulty lies opportunity. Uh-huh. Thank you. So that no not, that's exactly what Coach comes does. You have a problem here with Gibum? Let's turn that into a way to knock out all these kings at once. Okay. By the way, that was Albert Einstein, not my Okay. Pillow. okay. <laughs> now own. And Yoshua comes upon them suddenly, all night long. They're traveling from Gilgal. This is a very important tactic. Yoshua is very, very clever here, and Hashem is guiding him every step of the way. This is one of the most unbelievable, miraculous battles you'll see in a minute. Yoshua goes from Gilgal, which as you saw, is quite a bit away, right? From Gilgal to Gibbon, all night long they're traveling so that they won't suspect the kings who are attacking, and they come suddenly upon them. And Baruch Hu confused them and, uh, what, what's the word for that, to, to frighten and, and, and startle them before Israel. And he struck them a great blow in Gibbon and chased them by way of the path of Beit Haron. And he struck them at Azekah and at Makeda. Now, One of the problems with our little uh, map here, the biblical map, is you don't see Beit Haron there. So I found you uh, a Google map. <laughs> okay? If you take a look here at the Google, Google map, for those of you who drive around here, you could recognize these places. This is Gibon HaChadasha. This is Gibon. This is Zev. Okay? And here is Beit Haron. So Beit Haron is northwest of Gibbon, and there is, there's two, there's an upper Beit Haron and the lower Beit Haron, and there's a Morad, there is a descent. And the Chazal talk about this descent, and it's a whole discussion there. Uh, and it's a very narrow descent, and they say that only like one camel could go down at a time, and so they're, they're running away from Gibbon Right to Beit Haron, northwest. Prosekirala. Bah Yehibinu ibn Beit They're in that narrow passageway between the upper and lower Beit Harons, where there's only room for one camel to go. Right. And God threw upon them big stones from the sky as far as Azekah. And they died, and more people died from the hailstones that God threw on them, from those that the children of Israel struck with the the sword. So this is the first unbelievable miracle, and how is this a miracle, right? Hail could happen, right? But if you experience hail at any point, hail is usually little tiny pebble things. (laughs) It might not be pleasant, but it's not usually fatal. These were large rocks coming from the sky. And if you imagine this battlefield, right? The Jews are chasing the Emory. So that means you have Emory and Jews. And the hailstones only hit the MOE. right? So this is a miracle within a miracle. And this very reminiscent of the plagues, the Esser Mako in Egypt, because we had this sort of thing. The, the Egyptians would be finding blood in the water, and the Jews would be drinking regular water. right? The The, the plagues that fell happened on, on the Egyptians and not on the Jews. So this is a tremendous thing. And as a matter of fact, the connection is even greater. Let me see if it's in here. Uh, Okay, I have to find this for you. I believe it's in Doc. Okay, so we'll go straight to Brachos. Okay. This is the Gemara Brachos daf Nundal Bet, right? Okay. Tanu El Gavish Moed Beit Haron, and a few other things. Evan, write This, if you see these things, this is the Gemara and Bracha. Thing. Mar-in says you have to make a special bracha if you see these things. What were these things? One of them was Avne mm-hmm. El Gavish, his special hailstones in the descent of Beit Haron, right? If you see the, the wife of Lord, other things. Now, how does this go? What do they call it? My al gavish. Why are they called Al gavish? Because abanim amdu al gavish, right? Stones that stood because of a man, be do al gavish, and they they stood because of a man. That's Moshe as it says, Moshe was called an Ish, an avne Al Gav Ish, right? Because of a man. And when did this happen in the plague of Barad? And it says, If you remember, the Barad in Egypt was a very special kind of horrible, wacky hail, that in those hailstones, which were basically water, There was fire. So unbelievable nace. And when Pyro begs that this plague be taken away, and Moshe asks God to stop it, it says, right, it says there, right? It stopped dead. And all the hailstones that were coming down stopped. So we couldn't see them, but somewhere between the heaven and the earth, the hailstones from the plague of hail in Egypt were suspended until now. And those are the rocks that Hashem struck the Emoe with. And who? your they went down because of a man. Who is that man? Yoshua. As it says, also called an Ish, a man who has the spirit in him. Right? And here it says, so that is the very beautiful miracle, number one, of those special stones. And I just wanted to point out that there is an Indian, and the Gemara is talking about this, called the Gemara Brachas, right? It's telling you which Brachas you make when. When you experience a miracle, when you see a place where there was a miracle, then you make a Bracha. And uh, my sister will, will, uh, will agree with me. We, there was a certain place where uh, my father, my father used to always make the spracha, right? Baruch Hashem said, there was a place where- He spun out. He went in 360, and it was a very well-traveled area of the highway. And not only did he make a 360, he didn't hit anybody else when he skidded. So every time he drove on that stretch of highway, he made that bracha. It's a very important thing. And this is something that we have to remember to appreciate these these great things and to make those bracha. Okay. Now, now comes the, uh, right, uh, it just mentioned that in, in Tehillim, Tehillim Kuf Zayin talks about the four people who have to make Birkatah um, Gomeil, the bracha that you make when you're saved from from uh, a uh, danger, you make that bracha and the, the beautiful pair, Kuf uh, Zayin, 107. Pasekebet. Azitavyeh Yoshua Lashem biyom teit HaShem temolev nebenei Yisrael v'yomer leimei Yisrael Shemesh begivon dome yareh veimeh gayelon <clears throat> now, this is probably the most famous miracle of Yoshua's and um, the second major miracle of this battle. And we have this interesting phrase, Az Yoshua, which is, reminds us a little bit of Az Yashir Moshe. The sense of the Az, like, is a kind of, you know, future, but it's sort of also stopping to tell us that this was a very Momentous occasion, and then Yahushua spoke to Hashem on the day that God gave the neighbor l'ifnei Israel, and He said before the eyes of all of Israel, "Shemesh be Gibon let the sun stand in Gibon v'areach Ayalon, and the moon in the valley of Ayalon. Ayalon is a little bit further away. You see, here is Gibon, and Ayalon is right, you know, in this direction." here. So it, it apparently if the sun stands right and the sun doesn't set so the moon has to stop also from rising. And the moon is not in the same position as the sun. Now, I, I have to say, Katonti, I want you to see what's going on here. Okay? Just take a look at the real bug. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot to say on this. A lot to say. Let's talk about shot. okay? First of all, why does Yoshua want the sun to stand still? So the most shot reason is that the sun is setting. This is a tremendously decisive victory. And if anyone gets away, gets back to their fortified towns, they're going to regroup, especially the kings. They're gonna regroup and fight again. We don't want them to regroup and fight again. So you have to finish off the battle by finishing off the leaders, by getting the thing done. The minute the sun sets, you can't see anymore. Don't forget, they don't have, uh, you know, headlights and night lights and electricity, which Marguerite doesn't have today at all. You find out pretty fast when your lights go out, how dependent we are on electricity. They couldn't see if there's no light. So Noshua says, right, let us let me finish this battle. Now that what points out, that he, Radak, thinks that this is because it was Arab Shabbos and Yeshua didn't want them to go into Shabbos to finish the battle, which is, it's a very good sporadic, but on the other hand, Yericho happened on Shabbos, so I don't know. But now we have a very big problem because the sun standing still is like crazy. It's a crazy thing. So just to talk about it in terms of the thing itself, if the sun stands still, that means time stands still, that means nature stands still, that means the natural order of the world is completely overturned. And if you look at the next pasuk, right? By Hashemesh, the Shemesh stopped, the sun stopped. And the moon stood still. Adi kom until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Halo al yashar. Is this not written? on the Book of the Righteous, of the Straight, and the sun stood still in the middle of the sky, it didn't hurry to set. You ever have that on Friday? You think, time is moving faster than it should. It's hurrying because we're going to finish up the day. Who ever heard of such a thing? Was never such a thing before or after that Hashem listened to the voice of a man because Hashem was fighting the Jewish people. Okay, so there's a few things I want to take apart here. Okay, number one, Ralbag Ralbag is one of the school of of um Afar-shim, who have a lot of trouble with the sun standing still. Ralbag's problem is that Moshe didn't do that. And Rah is, is sort of grading his prophets on what's the biggest miracle they do. Like if Moshe stopped the sun, okay, then Yoshua could stop the sun. But if Moshe didn't stop the sun, right, then you don't necessarily let Yoshua stop the sun. Okay. Now the barbanyl. A lot of people just ignore the rabbi because it's just, okay, whatever. But the rabbi takes him on and says, no, you don't grade Nabiim on their miracles. You grade Nabiim on their closest to a Baruch Baruchu. Moshe, right? Lokam ke Moshe'od. Moshe was the only Navi who had that level of closest to a And even if this miracle was a very great miracle, Moshe did very great miracles. And we don't have to stand here and compare. So this is basically, I'm just giving a short version of what the Ralbag is doing over here. Okay, so that's number one. On the pshat level, he needed more time to finish the battle or he didn't want to go into Shabbos and that's why he did this. Midrashim here are particularly beautiful and I just want to spend a minute with that. Um, Okay. You know what? I think we may be better off with Rashi here. L'fish Amar Do, Do, M'Nomar Shira. Right? There is a concept that Hazal talk about that it's just very beautiful, that every creature, every creation of a Kodesh Baruch who is not even a creature, even a domain, an inanimate object, sings its song for Kadosh Baruch Hu. There's something called Perik shira that some people say that goes through what is the shira of the frog, let's say, what is the shira of the sun. So when Yeshua says "Dome," dom has two meanings, either be silent or wait. So it seems like wait, stay still, that would be shot. The Medrash says he was saying be silent because the sun says, wait a second, I have my song of praise to Kadosh Baruch Hu that I have to sing. And I can't stop that. And Yoshua says, that's okay, I'll do it. Azitabeh Yoshua. is going to say that praise to Hashem in the place of the sun. Another medrash gives you a little bit of a, of a, of a confrontation. right? Yoshua says, is he's giving the sun orders. And the sun says, who are you to give me orders? I was created on the fourth day. You earthly man, you were created on the sixth day. I take precedence over you. And Yashua says that's not true. The whole creation is for the sake of man and you have to listen to what I say. Not only that, right, we have this beautiful pasuk, Halo, ashit, sefer what's Sefer HaYashar? Sefer ha-shar, most of the Chazal uh, think that this means Sefer Gracious because Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov are called Yasharim and Bilam says Tamot I wish I would die like the, the Yasharim, the straight ones. And by the way, if anyone has time in their hands, they want to read something amazing. They should read in the Tzib's um, introduction to um, Sefer gracious where he talks about the Yasharim. The greatness of the Avog, that they had no shtick, they were straight. Sefer Yashar. And, and where is it written in Sefer Yashar? Okay, I don't have time to show you all this inside, but it says, right? that there's two, two references that are made here. And one is that if you remember, Yosef had these dreams, right? So our original interpretation of the sun, the moon, the stars that bow down to Yosef are his family, his father, his mother, Bilhah, and, and his brothers. But another interpretation is the actual son bowed down to Yosef. And Yoshua is a descendant of Yosef. So he has that, part of that Yosef is another interesting thing and that is right what's Ketuvah Sefer Yashar and Sefer Gracious if you remember at the end Yaakov wants to give a bracha to Yosef's children Ephraim and Manasseh. and Yosef sets them up is older that he should have the bracha from Yaakov's right hand and Yaakov switches his hand and he gives the bracha the, the higher bracha to Ephraim and Yosef said, wait hold, hold it you know dad you got it wrong I know. Uh, says, "Yadati, Yadati." I know. They're both going to be great, but he will be Maloha goyim, and that's Ephraim, Yoshua's ancestor. And this is the this is the event that's that's alluded to in Rashi's that the entire world will see the whole world, Maloha goyim. Everybody will see this tremendous miracle that the sun stopped for Yoshua was never a day before or after such a thing, that Hashem would listen to the voice of a man because Hashem fought for the Jewish people, which is a great, great, uh, a great thing that Hashem fought for us. And I want to also say here that I love the idea of everyone having their shira, that every every creation has their shira that they sing their whole life for Hashem. And I thought that that would be something that we should think about as uh, a, a lesson to extract from here. What's our Shira for our Baruch Hu And how do we make our lives a Kiddush Hashem? How do we do something that will be singing Hashem's praises all the time? Um, something to think about and something to aspire to, to direct our hearts to make that Shira, to be grateful to Hashem all the time for the not just the miracles, but the, the daily things that happen. I just want to mention, like I had this experience years ago, I went to a wedding where uh, Rebetzin Young Rice um, had actually made the Shidduch, and uh, she walked the color down, long story, but I was like very much uh, admired Rebetzin Young Rice always. And um, I followed her around that wedding to see, you know, what she does. And I want you to know, the only thing that came out of her mouth were brachot to people, everybody she met. She was just benching them. She was amazing. It was an amazing thing. Like that's, she just gave everybody, she was really, really, and, and to think about her shirat rat chayim, what she was able to sing for our Baruch Hu, something to think about, something to, uh, inspire us. Okay. Pasik Tetzav, The aftermath of this miraculous, unbelievable battle. And Yosher returned then everybody with him to Gilgal. Not one loss because Hashem was fighting this battle. If Hashem is on your side, everything goes good. Pasik araba makeda. And those five kings, they ran and they hid in the cave in Makeda. Here's Makeda. They all went here to hide. And Yeshua was told, Those ten, uh, those five uh, kings are hiding in the cave in Makeda. He said, Put rocks in front of the entrance of the cave and don't let them escape. Remember, if you don't get the leader, if you don't get the leader, you risk them regrouping and coming back to fight another day. I remember in 1991 when you know we won the war against uh, Saddam Hussein and I didn't catch Saddam Hussein. And I was like, oh no, I was very worried until they caught him like a dog in a ditch, but it was a long time later, a long time later. So you got to get those kings. Yeshua <speaking in Hebrew> strategically understands that if anyone gets back to the cities, they will regroup and they will protect themselves in fortified cities. The go after the tails, the ones that are stragglers. Run after them and don't let them go, because Hashem is with us. Hashem will give them to you. Only individual stragglers remnants remained and ran to these cities. B'yashuvu kala'amal ha-machana le'yashuvah makedah b'shalom, lo'cha ratz'le me'israel le'ishad Aleph says they all returned to the camp of Yeshua at Makeda, where they were guarding those five kings in the cave. Bishalom, Everyone came back without any casualties. And here you have echoes again of Mitzrayim. Lo'cha ratz'le me'israel le'ishad Shano. Remember, right? Be'chol aritz Mitzrayim. Here it's not a kelim. No, they were so cowed in Canaan. They were so afraid after being pounded with these rocks by God and having the sun stand still. The Jews chased them everywhere, and the total, total rout. They were just they didn't open their mouths against the Jews, right? But you know what? I'm reminded of. When I first came to Israel, right, and we were robbed. And they told me, I was sure there was Arabs. They said, well, it must have been Arabs. I couldn't believe that Jews were robbing, which is not a good thing. But the police told us at the time, lo kaneis shuna yudit. an Arab would never dare to come into a Jewish town at night. It was 1977, and I think of it as the good old days when the Arabs had fear. Now, my son goes to the old city. And he says they, there's hundreds of Jews and, and little Arab boys mock them because they, they think they have the upper hand. So it's it's not it's not a small thing to have your enemies afraid of you. Okay, political comments <laughs> off. Take out the five kings. Open the K by And this is a little weird. Had Melchishalaim, Melchibrah, Yamut, Lachish, Aglon, Chaptaler, by He calls Yamitam, Lachima, Ela, El Yeshua, by Yekoy Yeshua, El Kol Ishes Israel. Yeshua called over the whole army, and he said to the officers, by Yamul Katsim, Anshe Melchama, Pasir Chaptaler, He halchui to all the officers. Kirvu, come close. Simu et raglechem, Al savrei ham Lachima put your feet on the necks of these kings. By ye kribu, by a of lame, what is the shot in that? Right? What is, what is the symbolic effect of putting your head, your foot on the head of on the neck of these kings? We are in charge now. And what are all the other kings gonna think, right? Oh boy, we are in deep trouble. It is a fear tactic to instill fear and a sense of uh, sovereignty. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Right? So we had that in Peric Aleph. Be strong. Be brave. God is going to do this to all our enemies. Very important to see the fulfillment of a Torah commandment here. Yoshua kills the kings, the, right? And he hangs them on trees until the evening because it says in Parashat that you do not allow a, a hanged person to remain hanging after nightfall. They must be buried. And this is a source of of our, um, it's partly, um, it says, killat elokim talui. It is a curse of God, the hanged one. Because every person is a tselem elokim, it's an affront to God, so to speak, to have a person hanging. And the Medrash says it's like twin brothers, right? One brother becomes the king, and one brother becomes a robber. And when the robber is caught and hanged, people say the king is hanging. A tzallam cannot be hanged. right? And you you should know, it's actually correct English, by the way, you should know curtains are hung, people are hanged. That's what I was taught. Um, You should know that the laws that we have of covenant mates, some of it is reflected here, that is especially in Israel, People are buried very, very quickly in shalim they'll bury people in the middle of the night so as not to um, have them um, dishonored in that way. Chafchet. Okay, now what happens from Chafchet to Mem Gimel, and I don't have time to go through each passage, I'll just give you a loose translation here. Yeshua captures all these cities. He continues this battle after he kills those five kings and he goes to all the southern areas, Makedah, right? Uh, all the, the people who are in Makedah, right? And he kills the king of Makedah. He goes to Livna. He fights with Livna. And Hashem gives him also to Israel and also the king. And uh, they don't allow anyone to be made alive. And they do the same to the, their king in Lamed Aleph. And he goes from Livna to Lachish. And he camps and then Hashem gives Lachish in their hand and they capture it and all the people in it and Laman Gimel. And then Horam, the king of Gezer, goes up to help Lachish and Yeshua fights him. And they go from Lachish to Eglon and they fight Eglon and they capture it. And whatever they did to Lachish and Yeshua gets up from Eglon to Hebron. Now the Hebron king was already dead. Right? But they captured, they struck it by the sword and the king. Now, either this is referring to the king who was one of those five who was already killed, or they already had time to appoint a new king, which is odd. And he captures uh, here, this is Mitsudas, maybe they had a new king because it says that Yeshua killed the king of Pharaoh. Anyway, all these cities captures and destroys them. And you can see when we look at the map, right. Makeda, Livna, Lachish, Eglon, Hebron. There's a little bit of a circle happening here, right? And we'll have to talk a little bit about the, the capture of Hebron, because in chapter 24 we see that Kalev captures for Hebron, but okay. Um, and then you go to Zvir, and Zvir is also captured by Asniel. We see that also. Hebron and Zvir are captured by, uh, Hebron by Kalev. And Zabir by Asniel, but apparently either there was the city itself and the outskirts that were captured separately. Hebron was a city of Levian and uh, was given over to, to Kalev. We'll talk about that chapter 14. But Yeshua was the commander, so all of the honors of this goes to him and all those towns, Pasik Mem Aleph, and Yoshua struck them from Kaddish Barnea until Azah all the land of Goshen and at Gibbon. So if we take a look really here, you see Kadesh Barnea is around here. That's called Kadesh Barnea. So this is the southernmost point. This is really biblical biblical Israel, heartland Israel. From down here all the way up to Gibbon, one massive battle took over the entire south of Israel. And that's how Hashem snatches victory from defeat, which is an unbelievable thing. And then you have at the end, as uh, And all of these kings and their whole land, Yeshua captured at one time because Hashem, the God of Israel, was fighting for Israel. And Yeshua returned with his camp to Gilgal, right? And you see here, the fish, didn't, this whole thing was in the merit of a Hu's help, which is the best, you know, the important thing to remember in all of these cases is that if a Hu is fighting for you, like the Shemish began, Hashem is on their side, Hashem is fighting for you, and that is um, what Jewish people always have to remember to make themselves worthy that Hashem will fight for them and Halabai fight against our enemies who are raising their heads again. That we should have uh on our side and help us from them. Okay, I, I'm sorry, I know it went very, very fast and It was a very, very long parac. So